0: Well, that video follows the presidential advance team, which is a group of White House employees that help prepare towns for presidential visits. I'm sure you can imagine that the logistics for such a visit are complex, uh, even though the event usually lasts half a day. Uh, Preparations for those types of visits start months, even years, in advance. Every president, every dignitary has an advance team. Uh, President Bush's advance team was called by one journalist, quote, the most complex, expensive, and thorough advance unit in the world. Uh, When President Bush went to London many years ago... Uh, His advance team included 904 Defense Department staffers, 600 armed service officials, 250 secret service officers, 205 White House staffers, 103 CIA staff, 44 State Department staff, 30 cabinet workers, 18 senior advance office staff, 16 congressmen, and 12 sniffer dogs. In fact, I found here on the internet a copy of the Presidential Advanced Team Manual and printed it out. It's 103 pages long. It covers everything from working with vendors, flag etiquette, motorcade procedures, building the event site. I know you can't see this down here at the bottom, but down here at the bottom it says, sensitive, do not copy. (laughs) So much for national security. (laughs) When dignitaries decide to make an appearance somewhere, they want it to go well. Uh, they want people to show up. They want people to be ready. I mean, imagine how embarrassed or even how angry a dignitary would be if he or she showed up for a big event and nobody was ready. If this is true for presidential visitors, how much more true is it for heavenly ones? How much more true is it that visitors from heaven want their arrival to earth to go well? And how much more necessary is it that they send out an advanced team to get the town ready for the visit? We've been studying the Old Testament book of Isaiah here at Rooftop. Uh, As you probably know by now, Isaiah uh, was a book written about eight centuries before Jesus by a guy, a prophet named Isaiah, who tells his people, the nation of Judah, that a king is coming. A king is coming to rescue them from sin, from death, from judgment, from guilt. And that's what we're looking at in this final mini-series of Isaiah, which is called The Future King. We're looking at Isaiah's prophecies, About the arrival of the Messiah who comes in the person of Jesus Christ. But Isaiah doesn't just predict the arrival of this king. He predicts the arrival of the advance team to prepare for the arrival of the king. He predicts the arrival of another prophet crying in the wilderness that the president is on his way. We find this prediction, we find this prophecy in chapter 40 of Isaiah's book, which is the passage that I want to read and study with you this morning. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 11. Let me read it to you, and then we will discuss it. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low, the uneven ground shall become level, the rough places the plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is like grass, cry that, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up. Fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold the God of God. The Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Now let me give you some context to this passage so we can know what's going on. Remember what we learned about Isaiah. In the book of Isaiah, the prophet warns his people that because of their sin, because of their violence, Yahweh, uh, the God of Israel, has decided to punish them through their enemies, He's decided to let the Babylonians, their mortal enemies, come and destroy their city, destroy their temple, and take them into captivity in Babylon for 70 years. This is the message that God tells Isaiah to tell to his people, the people of Judah, and Isaiah does that. But Isaiah's message isn't all doom and gloom. Isaiah predicts a time of deliverance, when God's anger will dissipate, and when the children of Judah will be allowed to return home. And Isaiah is predicting that return. This is what God tells the prophet to tell the people. Comfort Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. Picture your mom coming up to your bedroom to tell you that after many days, uh, your time in time out is over. That's what God tells Isaiah to tell his people. Or imagine the conversation with your kids, if you have kids, of what it's like when you give them back their cell phone after you took it away. The pain, the heartache, the grief, it's over. You can have your cell phone back. Life is worth living again. Your warfare has ended. Your iniquity pardoned. That's what God tells Isaiah to tell the people. Your punishment is over. Not only is your punishment over, but God tells Isaiah to announce the arrival of a king to bring you home. A king is coming to bring you home from from Babylon to Jerusalem, as he says in verse 9. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God, behold the Lord. God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Your time of suffering is over. You can go home. Your God, the Lord, the king, is coming to take you home from Babylon. And given the king's imminent arrival, God tells Isaiah to tell the people, you should be ready. You should prepare. You should prepare for this king. As the prophet writes in verse 3, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. The image here is of a visiting dignitary who needs straight roads and easy paths. As your king arrives to carry you home through the wilderness, Isaiah says, make straight paths for him. Lower the mountains, raise the valleys, make the rough places plain. Get your presidential advance team ready for his arrival. We want it to be smooth. We don't want the president to show up and have to climb out of ditches. We want him to be able to drive straight from the airport to wherever he's going, all green lights, all the way. It's kind of like after I came home from hip surgery uh, many years ago. Uh, I was on crutches, got home, Michelle brought me home, I was on crutches, I showed up at the front door and I looked inside the living room and there was like pillows and blankets and books and children and toys and family detritus, like all over the floor. I'm like, I just need to get to my bed. And m- my kids saw me standing there with all this stuff and they said, quick, clear a path, clear a path for dad, he's home from the hospital. And they went and they just kind of cleared a path so I could get to the bedroom. And for the next few days, that's what it was. Every time I sort of went anywhere in the house, like, clear a path, clear a path for dad. Dad's on the move. Clear a path. A king is coming, Isaiah says. Not on crutches, but on clouds. A king is coming on clouds to bring you home. So, clear a path. Now, just as Isaiah prophesied, Judah returned to Jerusalem, their homeland. After 70 years, they finally made it home. But it honestly wasn't a very glorious return. They were expecting to return to their glory days when they got home, but it just wasn't like that. They had lots of problems when they got home. They actually had new enemies, worse than the Babylonians. First it was the Greeks, then it was the Romans the prophecies of Isaiah just didn't seem to pan out the way that they had hoped. The king, the king didn't arrive like they had hoped he would. As a result, many of God's people started wondering if maybe Isaiah's prophecies of deliverance referred to something else, something greater. Maybe they started wondering the Messiah would come later. Later. And maybe the Messiah would himself have a prophet ahead of him preparing people for his arrival. So just like Isaiah was a voice crying out in the wilderness to prepare the way for God's deliverance of Judah. Maybe the future king to come, the true Messiah, would also have his own prophet ahead of him. A voice, as it were, crying in the wilderness to make way, clear a path for the king. Which brings us to a very interesting man in the New Testament. A voice crying in the wilderness, preparing us to make way for the king. Maybe you know who I'm talking about. His name is John. Middle name, the. Last name, Baptist. John the Baptist was actually a a cousin of Jesus's. And at some point in his life, John the Baptist decided to live in the desert. And to eat bugs for protein and wear animal skins for clothes. He was a very dynamic preacher, John was, and people actually went out into the desert to hear him preach. And John the Baptist uh, baptized people for their sins, telling them to live differently, He had a large following, John the Baptist did, and people knew that he was an important man in the plan of God. And here's the thing. The earliest followers of Jesus believed that John was prophesied. The voice prophesied in Isaiah, crying out that people should clear a path for the king. They believed that he was God's advance team. Every single gospel writer in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, says that John's arrival is the fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah 40, as Matthew writes in chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice is one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. With John's arrival, people believed correctly that the king... The king was to come is just around the corner. The king prophesied on Isaiah. And John was very clear about it. Uh, John was actually such a dynamic, compelling guy that people wondered if maybe he was the king. Hey, are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? And John kept saying, no, 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 that's not me. I baptize you with water, he says. But one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He will baptize you with fire. Not cool. (laughs) Not the image. <laughs> I am not the king, John said. John knew that the whole purpose of his ministry was to get people ready for the real king who was to come. He knew that he was God's advance team. And when Jesus came, he knew his role had ended, he had done his job. In fact, John calls himself nothing but the groomsman to the groom, who was far more important than him. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him, he says. And it's full of joy. When he hears the bridegroom's voice, that joy is mine, and it is now complete. The groom, the groom, the groom, that joy is mine. Now he must become greater. Uh, there's a verse missing there, but the groom uh, must become greater. I must become less. Uh, this reminds me of my best man's uh, speech at our wedding reception. Uh, my best man, his name was Rob and in his speech, in his toast, he explained to everybody in his speech that he knew what his job was as a bridegroom. Uh, his job was to serve, or as a, as a groomsman, his job was to serve the bridegroom, me. That's why he planned the bachelor party. That's why he kept, you know, the, the rings in his pocket. That's why he was standing up there next to me during the ceremony, because in case I needed some help or something. In fact, in his toast, Rob said that, that during the, the wedding ceremony, he actually felt a, an itch on his nose that he didn't want to scratch because he didn't want to distract everybody from the most important thing happening on the stage, which was the wedding between the bride and the groom. So Rob stood there for half an hour, not scratching his nose, because he didn't want to distract from the most important thing happening on stage. He must become less. We must become greater. This was John's calling. He came as the prophesied voice in the wilderness to announce the arrival of the king, the bridegroom, and that king finally came in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, all this might be interesting to you, maybe not, is to me, maybe not to you, but let's ask the question that we like to ask here at Rooftop. What's that question? So what? What does this mean for us? What do we have to learn from it? Well, I can think of two important lessons we have to learn from this that I want to share share with you this morning. Here's lesson number one. God loves us too much to show up unannounced. God loves us too much to show up unannounced. Have you ever had unannounced guests? Maybe it doesn't happen as much these days when we rarely even have guests honestly, but back when neighbors visited or friends popped in, having unannounced guests was sort of a mixed bag. I mean, you want your friends, you want your neighbors to feel like they could just kind of pop in any time, like anytime, anytime. any time. But then again, you kind of want to have a heads up. Why? Well, what if you're in the middle of something? What if the house is a disaster? What if your husband's lying around in his boxer, scratching his stomach? Hey, come on in! And and what if your guests are, like, really important people? You know, not all guests are created equally. (laughs) What if your guests are really important people? You you want a heads-up, right? So that you can get ready. Years ago, for example, when we were adopting our daughter, uh, we were working with a social worker to help finish the adoption. And uh, part of the... procedure, if you've ever been through this, part of the process is the social worker comes over for for what's called a home visit. And during the home visit, the social worker's job is to make sure that, you know, the house is not a death trap uh, and that the family is not insane. So, in order to get ready for this home visit, you know, we cleaned and organized the house more than it had ever been cleaned or organized. We just, like, scrubbed the boys and made sure they were, like, in pristine little boy condition. Um, we, I, uh, Here's how Carefully, I cleaned the house. I I scrubbed the grout with a toothbrush in the shower. I washed the inside of our trash cans, you know, because you never know. Um, I took, I unscrewed all the light fixtures. I vacuumed out the bugs and I like hand washed all the light fixtures. I wanted this visit to go well. Uh, then the social worker showed up, and she came in the front door, she sat, it was kind of an anticlimactic visit, actually, she sat down, and she like, sat on the couch, and she looked around the living room, and, and she like, asked us a couple questions off her clipboard, and she looked at the boys sitting over there, Are you excited to have a, a baby sister? And the boys like, yes, 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 yes. And then she left. And before she left, I was like, no, wait, wait no, 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 do you, want, do you want to see the grout in the bathroom? Can I show you the inside of our trash cans? We decided just to let her leave uh, while we were ahead. My point, though, is that for really important visits, you want to know they're coming. Things need to be done. Rooms need to be cleaned. Grout needs to be scrubbed. Same thing with the arrival of the king. The king's arrival is a really big deal. Like, really big deal. The biggest arrival of anybody to earth ever. We're all very interested these days in UFOs and aliens. And that's interesting if aliens are visiting earth. That's a big deal. This is bigger Jesus' arrival to earth is bigger. He's more important. God wants his visit to go well for us. A lot is riding on this visit, so he sends his advance team to get people ready. God loves us too much to not give us every opportunity to give ready, to get our houses ready. But what does getting our house ready mean? What does that even mean? Well, let's listen to what the voice in the wilderness tells us. What does John the Baptist preach to the people of Israel? He says this. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers. (laughs) That's one way to welcome your congregation. (laughs) Welcome to Rooftop. You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee the coming wrath, people? Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. The acts is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Hmm. That's a tough message. The king is coming soon to inspect your trees, and if you're not producing good fruit, you're going to get burned down. If your house is not ready, he's going to burn it to the ground. That's pretty intense. What should we do then, the crowd asked. Good question. John answered, well... Anyone who has two shirts, anybody wearing two shirts this morning, God is speaking to you. (laughs) Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. Anybody not wearing a shirt here this morning? So I'm ready to (laughs) help you out. Think about it, there's lots of people in the world who do not have a shirt. Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. So how did John tell the people to get ready for the king's arrival? He told them to be generous. Use what you have to bless people who have less. We might claim to have faith. We might claim to be going to heaven. We might claim to be Christians. But are we generous? Radically generous. 50% generous. God wants to see the evidence, the fruit of our faith. Generosity is the fruit of faith in Christ. So be generous. That's what it means to scrub the grout, to get your house ready. It means to give what we have to people who have less. It means to donate to the food pantry. It means to adopt hungry children. It means to help neighbors in need. It means to tie 10% to church and support missionaries. God wants to see us living generous lives. He loves us too much to show up and catch us living selfishly. That's what I think is important here. God doesn't want us to be surprised by what he expects when he shows up. He loves us too much to show up unannounced. He wants to see us at our best. Uh, It's like when Michelle and I tell our daughter to clean her room. Very often, her room is in need of cleaning. This is not her room, by the way. (laughs) This is just something I pulled off the internet. (laughs) Uh, But we don't just show up and and tell our daughter, you know, what a mess. Go get the axe. We're going to cut this down. We don't want to catch her with a messy room. We tell her to clean her room. We give her warnings. We tell her what we want to see. We tell her we're going to come inspect it. We don't want to catch her with a messy room. We're not looking to punish her. We love her too much to show up unannounced. We want to live with her forever. We want to catch her in her best moment, not in her worst. Same thing here. God wants to catch us at our best, not at our worst. He's a good father. So he tells us he's coming to repent of our sin, to scrub the grout, and to be generous. Lesson number one. God loves us too much to show up unannounced. Lesson number two is this. God prepared the way for Christ's arrival so that we can prepare the world for Christ's return. God prepared the way for Christ's arrival so that we can prepare the world for Christ's return. As I mentioned, many prophecies in the Old Testament are only like, partially fulfilled in the New Testament. Uh, Many have yet to be fully filled. A lot of prophecies might have been fulfilled, but maybe not fully filled. So Isaiah's prediction of the arrival of a king has been fulfilled, but maybe not fully filled. That prophecy, though, about the arrival of a king will be fully filled someday, though. Christ will come again. Jesus prophesies this in the book of Mark. When he says, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, and he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens, Isaiah's prophecy of the arrival of the king will someday be fully filled. Given this, and assuming that we ourselves are ready for the visit, our job is to help prepare the world. God prepared the way for Christ's arrival so that we can prepare the world for Christ's return. If we are followers of Jesus Christ, then we are on God's advance team. We have been signed up. Our job is to get the world ready for the visit. God tells us what to do when he told Isaiah what to do and John to do in verse 9. He says, go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength. Say to the seas of Judah, behold your God. Go up on a high uh, high mountain. Let the world know that the king is coming. That's why we planted this church 20 years ago, right? We planted this church to shout the good news from high places, mountaintops, buildings, rooftops. What's the good news? Hopefully, you know, but if you don't, the good news is that even though we are sinners, immoral, violent people, God still loves us. God loves us enough to come to earth to die on a cross for our sins, to make that payment so that we can be forgiven of our sins. God loves us too much to let us stay dead, though. God raised his son from the dead, defeating the power of death, giving us the hope and the opportunity to live forever. God doesn't want us to be powerless here on earth either, so God left his Holy Spirit behind who lives inside of us to give us strength and uh, holiness and humility. And, good news, God's coming again. God's coming again to restore all things. That's the good news. And we are its messengers. We are its voices. We are its heralds. Now, wait, you and I, heralds? You know, maybe me. <laughs> I'm a preacher, I'm a herald, I'm a pastor, but you? You? You know, you're just a, you're not a preacher, you're just a, just a mom. You're just a, med tech employee. You're just an AB employee. You're just a teenager. You're just a, you're just a divorcee. You, a Harold, got to go to school to be a Harold, right? Yeah, you, a Harold. In fact, your role on God's advance team is the most important thing you could ever be a part of and you were automatically signed up for God's advance team when you got baptized. You can't be saved from your sin and not be a part of God's advance team. Now, does that mean you have to be a preacher? Not necessarily, although every single one of us should be able to explain why we are Christians to people in our lives who might want to know about that. Every single one of us should be able to explain the gospel to our friends and neighbors and loved ones. But on top of that, there are other ways to serve on the advanced team other than preaching sermons. In fact, I think it's important to remember that God's advanced team is a team. No king or president is going to make a successful arrival without everyone playing their part. You need someone doing every little thing. You need a huge crowd of people to coordinate a visit to towns. You need marketing experts. You need drivers. You need roadies. You need cooks. You need schedulers. You need security. You need logistics experts. Like I said, President Bush's trip to London required thousands and thousands of individuals playing their part. Just imagine then, if you will, how many participants it's going to take to prepare the world for the arrival of the king of the universe. We are readying the earth for the king's arrival. We are raising valleys, lowering mountains. We are removing obstacles, toys, pillows, getting the word out. You're on that team. Did you know that? Did you know that you're on God's advance team? Or did you just think you were coming to church this morning to have some coffee, see some friends, sing some songs, and maybe dream about going to heaven? Is that what you thought you were going to experience this morning? And that's fine. That's great. But God signed you up for something else. God signed you up to be on his advanced team as he brings heaven to earth. You're on that team. And what's your role? You don't have to be the front man. skylar has got that cover. <laughs> you don't have to be the rock and roll star. Jason's got that covered. You don't have to handle communications. Heather's got that. So what's your role? What's your role on the advanced team? Everybody has a role. There are lots of opportunities even here at Rooftop to be part of the advanced team. Uh, We're planning a big outreach event this summer uh, in August called Summerfest. Heather's got big plans. It's not just a church party. It's us getting out into the neighborhood. She needs workers to make it happen. We just passed our largest budget ever because this year there's a lot of things that we feel God wants us to do, but in order to do it, God needs your money to make it happen. With more people coming back to church, our Sunday morning teams need a lot of extra hands. We've got spots on our tech teams. We've got spots in our kids' ministry. We've got spots on our greeting team. Or maybe you're more ambitious. Maybe you want to go downtown with us on Monday or Thursday nights to tell the homeless about the arrival of the king who can build for them a home eternally in heaven. Or maybe you want to go down to Reynosa, Mexico with us and build a home down there and tell our neighbors to the south that the king is on his way. They're not going to live down there homeless forever. The king is on his way. Whether or not you know it, you are on the advance team. You are the voice crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord and make straight in the desert a highway for our God. You see, it is just not enough to busy ourselves here at church getting ready for heaven. We didn't plant this church for ourselves just to get ourselves ready for heaven. We started this church for the people who don't go here yet. We started this church for the world. We started this church for St. Louis, for our friends, for our family, for our neighbors. By our faith in Jesus Christ, we might be ready for Christ's return. But what about our loved ones? What about our neighbors? What about our children? What about our roommates? When Christ arrives, will they be ready? Will our city be ready? That's what we're here in St. Louis to do. We're here on the ground getting our town ready for the biggest presidential visit ever, and there's a lot to do. Are you playing your part? Are you playing your part? We're going to move into some worship right now as we look forward to the arrival of the king who is set to get here any wheels on the ground, any moment now. But as we sing these songs, don't just sing them. Ask yourself what remains to be done in your life in preparation for the visit. Have you repented of your sins? Have you been forgiven by Jesus? Are you living a radically generous life? Are you ready? And ask yourself where God is calling you to serve on his team so that you can play your part in getting the city, getting this world ready for the arrival of the king who is to come. Go ahead and stand and sing.